Good morning. So we're here with Lee Mallon um, on the first version of the podcast. Um, hi, Lee. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, would you like to do a little bit of an intro about yourself? I mean, we've known each other for, for a while. We've connected on LinkedIn um, several years ago, actually. But it's only recently when we started having weekly conversations, let's say. And these conversations is what led me into this podcast thing, basically. Um, so yeah, do you want to do a little bit of intro about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Lee Mallon. I have been coding on and off for the last 25 years. Um, I ran my own kind of mobile app agency in the UK for the last 10 years. Uh, and I'm currently traveling around the world with my family for what was meant to be one year, but it's now two years and maybe I can convince them to do three. Um, and along that way, I've been playing around with some of my own projects and uh, writing a book as well. Well, wow, that sounds really great. Actually, this could be the, the whole, uh, the whole uh, point of another podcast just for that. Several years out of UK. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, I, I, have, I have a whole book just ranting about the inabilities of hotels using technology, right? Where, where could we find this book if we're interested? Uh, it's so so the at the moment I was writing a book around the and I'm sure we'll get into this topic a little bit around the concept of how software and code is basically runs our entire lives now um, and I was going to basically write the whole thing and then release it but editing has just taken a bit too long so I've started to release kind of like a mini chapter every week um, which if you go to codeiscurrency.com uh, you can view them all on there. It's free. There's no payroll football or anything. Um, or you can just sign up and you'll get an email every week. Um, and then I'm just slowly doing it. And if, as you see them and read them, there's anything you think like is wrong, is you could, could improve or a different perspective, feel free to email me. Like I'm happy to kind of take that endpoint and, and tweak accordingly. Absolutely. That's the, the agile way of writing a book, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> definitely smaller bits it's, it's, yeah every everyone who tells you not to write a book and then you don't listen to them and you start writing a book and you realize like you should have listened to them in the first place because it is a massively heavy undertaking not just in the act of writing if you're not that familiar with it but just to to come up with a, a narrative and uh you know it really makes you question like your perspective something which is which is great but it's definitely like a, a, a year commitment if you're going to do something like this yeah, agreed, agreed. Nice. So the, the point of this um, first episode is to talk about the future of tech. Now, we, we have a few ideas and a few things that we want to talk about. So um, yeah, let's make a start on that. Where to begin? Oh, um, um, well, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> uh, I think I think the at the moment, a good kind of anchor point would be that we're like GitHub has just announced the general availability of Copilot, which is the AI pairing assistant, or whatever you want to call it, um, for developers. And I think it it sets an interesting kind of point in development as to where a lot of code now people will write will not be theirs. Um, not to say it was theirs in the first place, typically from Stack Overflow, but. Um, it, it, I think now we're starting to see that kind of merge of all the systems that we've been building for other industries really start to affect our own 
and I'm intrigued to see how like developers behave in that. You know, half the audience in the world was in uproar that, you know, God forbid, a company like Microsoft would dare to charge developers for such a feature, and the other half were overjoyed that this thing was only going to cost ten dollars a month, and how much more productive they would be. Um, so, but I, like, have you used Copilot? I haven't actually used it. I was going to ask you this: if you've actually used it yourself to do anything meaningful with it. Yeah, I've been using it for a couple of months, um, and to be honest, I, I I find it is more a very good intelligence. Um, I don't, mm. I haven't used it really for like creating like buckets of code, but it seems to have a much better understanding of the files I have open at the time. So if I define a variable um, and then I reference it further down, it just fixes like lazy mistakes that you know you'll you'll then you'll build or you'll do something. Oh, for God's sake! Um, and I just find it's catching enough of them that uh it's you know it's, it's, it's just saving them like them them 10 seconds here 10 seconds there um i'm intrigued to see how that kind of develops like in the future because copilot was i remember seeing copilot like years ago because it was a github labs project called semantic search um and you could go to this uh like playground site on the github website and they had some they had a kind of small repo of code. And the examples they would give you is um, find the code that draws a graph. And it would basically find the code in the project, which you know had all the characteristics of how you would draw a, you know, a graph within code, which mm. was very kind of interesting. Um, but you can see how that's now with the open AI and GTP3, which I think Copilot's largely kind of based around, um, is now making that more kind of in the hands of developers rather than just, you know, something on the periphery around searching and, and finding. Whereas now, are we going to get to the point where you can turn this thing into, um, you know, to, to write most of your code? I, th I think testing is probably where this thing's going to really shine and be able to write tests um, with, with more of a natural language like a more like BDD kind of um, uh, language kind of tone, but then scaffold these things out for you in a way that we've never had before. That's a that's very my interesting hope anyway. point. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, actually. Now, testing, as far as I'm concerned, is probably one of the hardest things to do, right? Um, yeah. And uh, you can look around and see that it's not actually being done properly in the industry as, as a whole, really. You've got a, a number of tools that you have to put together. So, for example, let's say you want to uh, test the looks of a website or the functionality as a user would, right? You, you've touched on BDD and a test, a text description of what that would look like. But then there's a question of tools. Which ones are you going to be using? Are you going to use something like Selenium? Are you going to use something like Cypress, maybe? Um, if you use Selenium, then you have other dependency on web drivers and you end up in this rabbit yeah. hole of you need one thing, which leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. Now, is, is a tool capable of doing that for us? And then you have versions and other things. So it's, it's interesting to say that. I'm curious to see as well how this, how this evolves. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything that is quite prominent yet. I've seen some kind of like tipples of people working in this space. And 
I, I do think that we will get to a point where, like, if you look at some of the frameworks, like, have you have you used Playwright? Uh, Playwright? No. no, no, I don't know. It's kind of it's it's an interesting like Node kind of um, JavaScript based kind of uh, testing uh, framework, like Selenium, but but um, you could argue like more modern or more more down with the kids. Um, but um, but it, but it's quite nice and. Um, but the, I think we're just more and more abstraction away, but also like there's no reason why, like if you just abstract out machine learning as a training set and then like the real world and then your answers, um, like we have people manually test stuff all the time. So we can just record that and, you know, there's a big enough sample uh, of data out there that then you can model that and then you would get your kind of like, um, uh, you'd be able to kind of map it out. But I do think that's going to move more into developers' hands. So you can say, you know, when the website loads, tap the menu, go to the about page, scroll to the bottom. Like these things, these terms are not massively complicated. Um, there's just the black box in the middle of it understanding menu. Scroll, you know, scroll's quite self-explanatory. You know, about pages, you know, again, self-explanatory. I think there's just a few little key things which are which then get very nuanced with design and UX. Um, but personally, I think that's where, like, that's the next massive opportunity for someone or for some company is if you can, if you can basically create AI-based testing tools. Interesting. Like, it's it'll be it'll be quite a fascinating space. I've seen concerns from some people, also excitement, but also concerns what does this actually mean for a software developer if anyone can put this together and do we really think that someone who's a non-developer could actually just write some text and get that translated into a working product well i think the i, I have a i have a i think quite opposite opinion to most developers in that i think like our time is done it's been a great run um and the like there's there's 20 about 28 million developers in the world of which roughly 13 14 million of them are like full-time career developers the rest are like part-time or you know not paid because they're like helping out people etc um and there's like over 5 billion people online like there's just not you know there's millions of open tech jobs um, like it just has to be the case that more non-developers understand how this stuff works and the tooling of which they use gets better and more intuitive and developers create more APIs, integrations, natural language understanding, AI models. Like I do think the days of a developer building a CRUD app are kind of done because I have a you know a ten year old who I showed Airtable to, and in ten minutes she created a whole structure for our second year travel, like countries we're going to, storing our flights, like referencing like all of our tickets we print out, an itinerary, and an iCal link that then we added to our phones, you know, and she did this in a few hours, and she's ten. Wow. So. It's it's uh, I think that more and more the convergence of technology and non-developers or non-IT or however you want to frame it is just going to keep going, and I think the and the work from home 
kind of movement because of the pandemic and COVID and everything. Like I, I do a lot of mentoring and I particularly do a lot of mentoring for young um, or sorry, inexperienced uh, developers in Africa, um, particularly Kenya and Nigeria, who are unbelievable, like technically unbelievable, but they're still um, subjective to geographic and, and, and racism around with Western companies and people are trying to underpay them, even though their skills are equal, if not better than uh, their counterparts in the, in, the, in the States or in Europe. But I think work from home and you start to see some of the, the narratives come out of companies like Airbnb and um, Microsoft and Google, et cetera, around you know, having people in the office or not having people in the office. And eventually I do think that like, it's not gonna matter where you are, it's gonna come down to trust, character and skill. Uh, and the developers and the contractors who are in London demanding their high day rates are going to be screwed because someone's going to do it somewhere else in the world and probably better. And the companies can not do that now because they're not set up for it. But because of the pandemic and COVID, they're changing the systems, they're changing how they work. And therefore, like that, that pool of developers is just going to open up exponentially. Mm. um you know from, from from these kind of emerging kind of tech hubs um and they're a lot more eager for it you know because it opens up such a a potential possibility for them and their families as they go forward you know it's uh um it's definitely i think uh the next the next 10 years is i think the final heyday for what we would term as like the traditional software developer mm. Because after that, like my, my, so children in the UK from the age of five now learn con coding fundamentals, algorithm, like, and a lot of it is very drag and drop, but it's fundamentals of coding, not IT, not office, like actual coding. So in, so even if you start from now in 13 years time, when then people um, hit the market, the jobs market, they're all going to know how to do it. Like some of them might not have embraced it, but all the way through school, they will understand the fundamentals of technology. So eventually everyone's going to know how to code. Interesting. So in that you know? case, um, we see right now there's a whole movement around teaching more people how to code anyway, right? And get into tech. Yeah. Um, you touched on the uh, lack of people to fill all these, these jobs right now. So what does the future look like then for those people who are trying now to get into this, trying to break into the industry, which we know it's not very easy for a number of reasons. So uh, 10 years is what I would describe as a normal career leading to a senior kind of role. So what would we tell these people then? The, the main thing is, you know, everyone has everyone has a privilege of some sort you know knowledge location language um whatever it may be um and the people are not utilizing um that opportunity so for example if you're in the middle of a farm anywhere in the world but you have internet connection you can contribute to open source you can engage with communities mm. You can reach out to developers on teams. Like, like everyone says that senior developers are busy, 
But like, if that was the case, we wouldn't have 10,000 blogs about how to control an IoT sensor for a cat flap. Um, <laughs> like, you know, experienced developers have time, like anyone who's experienced in their, in their career, uh, they just choose to spend it on certain things. And you just have to, you know, make your way to think that you're one of them things they should do through potentially mentoring you or just, you know, uh, passing on knowledge. So I think that there's a, yes, it is hard to get into the industry. It's hard to get in any industry when you've got no experience and it is a bit of a hustle game. Um, there are ways that you can shortcut it, like, like contributing to open source, joining projects that are free, you know, going to local charities who can't afford the work and basically saying, I'll build you something for free. Work, you know, getting together with, the, if you're greater code, but you suck at UI, get together with a designer who's really good at that. And then you create something that turns out to be better for both of you because mm. it functionally works and it looks good. Like this is all stuff that is kind of obvious, but 99% of the people I speak to don't do it. They, they, they come on a call and they say, I've emailed a hundred companies and no one's responded to me. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and that's normal, you know, right? It, you should expect that kind normal. of answer. It, it is if you don't put in the effort to actually make yourself stand out. I would argue. Yeah, completely. And and also, I, but I think I think what I do think in the next kind of decade, things are going to change because you're going to have people who have learned computer science or whatever it will be defined at, at school, university, online courses, etc. And you know, currently they're coming to the market and they're saying, "I'm a React developer. I'm a Vue developer. I'm a Python yes. developer." Yes. Yes. And actually, like that shouldn't be how you define yourself. Because um, that's just a skill set and implies that you can't change and you can't adapt. Um, but that's what companies are looking for because they equally are not as um, well versed on what they need. They're just trying to solve. You know, we write in Python. We need more Python developers. Um, and still to this day, like it is hard to get good, like good developers, like both technically and the soft, what is determined as soft skills to communicate with the business, to communicate with each other you know, to be able to work remotely or in an office, like th these things are, are definitely not to be shied away from um, and are massively important. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to get people who have the domain knowledge who are going to learn the technical skills. So if you're then in an interview with someone and you have three years of React and two years of Figma, but the person you're sitting next to has one and a half years of React and two months of Figma, but you're applying for a job at a, you know, at a McLaren and the, the person with the lesser experience has basically been building McLarens their entire life because that's their love, their passion, and they just happen to have learned the technical skills. Like, who do you think is getting hired? Yep. I can see yeah. the answer being the person with the domain knowledge, obviously. On um... you, you, you would hope, and I, and I think at the moment that's not the case. I think people are just trying to get bums on seats, and they're trying to scale. And we're seeing the kind of the nuclear winter of the high growth tech sector, and everyone—not everyone, but like mass layoffs—because growth was overstretched for the current climate. Um, but the companies that you see are doing, you know, good hiring. They're hiring slow. They're hiring the right people. They're hiring for, you know, whatever you deem as cultural yeah. fit, but that, but but that that can mean a multitude of things. 
uh, but particularly, I think just understanding the problem at heart, you know, if it's farming, if it's um, food production, if it's cars, space, you know, whatever the thing may be, um, like that's what, you know, you, you need them to have the technical skills, but if they have this other bit, they're going to have such a different perspective of the end customer or user that someone who's just been coding for 10 years can ever have. Interesting, because uh, if you look at our industry, um, most developers would not spend too much time in one place or even in the same industry, yeah. right? You change roles, but when you change roles, you don't necessarily look at the industry as a target. Uh, I'm arguing for probably for most people, really. I mean, I know I don't. Uh, I would be looking at, is the work interesting? Is the package okay? That's the kind of stuff I would look for rather than, okay, I've, I've now... I've worked in the tourism industry. Maybe I want to stay in that one, which where my domain knowledge would be useful, right? Is that, do you think, maybe because we think we can actually pick up and we should reasonably expect to pick up domain language in anything given enough time? Oh, completely. And, you know, and anyone can learn anything, you know, like it is just, it is just a matter of time and resources and, you know, the laws of physics. Um, but I do think that the person, like, yeah, most technical developers are are not going to a job to solve the problem. They're going to a job to use the technology. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I've seen so, that as well. Yeah. You know, and that and, and to them, that is the problem. You know, if if you said to someone, we can solve world hunger by making Microsoft Access databases, like you, you would think everyone would want to jump and do that role because it's going to solve world hunger. Yeah, but I, to be honest, I think most developers don't. They would be like, "Well, can we use these six thousand different tools that all hook together into microservices, please?" Um, and that's not the problem. Whereas, if you had someone who was massively passionate about world hunger and had worked at, you know, refugee camps and had worked in supply chain management, and then happened to learn to code, like it's a game changer on what that person can then bring to the table. Wow, that is such a different point of view. So I'm actually very happy that we have in this conversation. I never thought about it like that. As, as a developer, if you work in tech, you're interested, you do that because you're interested in technology, right? Because you want to learn, because you want to upskill. So of course you'd want to play with the latest shiny tools, whatever they may be, because that's part of the natural progression, let's say. But that doesn't even look at the actual result of our work, right? What are we actually accomplishing? Yeah, I would I would question if you asked if you put 10 developers in a room and you asked them what thing they worked on that was most impactful, mm -hmm. they would really find it difficult to answer that question. Or they would answer it based on the technology answer. We scaled to 10,000 machines. We did this, we did that. I think very few would say, oh, I built something that saved 20 people's lives. Yeah, which which I think which I find which I find a bit sad, and but I do think it's going to change, because the like it's just we we're more and more becoming, our full existence is digital, however horrible that is, um, and and work is as well, and therefore and work from home made people get used to things like Teams and Slack and bots and laptops and having a home office. And, oh, I can do this. And I think that even just the fact of not having to do the 9 a.m. commute and being able to walk your kids to school or go to the gym, yep. 
or go out for lunch. Like these little, these are just little kind of like endorphin kickoffs in people's brains that have gone on for like a year to two years. And, and they will go, holy shit, I can change my work environment and have this nice life. What if I also can change how I do my work? Maybe that can step things up as well. Um, and I've, you know, I've seen it kind of, you know, firsthand and uh, I hope to see it more, but I do think that like the, there will always be a place for developers, you know, in, in building yes. things, but, but coding will become like DIY, you know, we're all, we'll all want to put a shelf up. Maybe some of us will build a shed, but if we're going to, you know, if we're going to basically knock a wall down and stick a conservatory on, we're probably going to call the builders. Uh, but I think it's going to move more into that territory where, you know, currently now we see non-developers as people who build websites with Squarespace or WordPress. And I think the next stage will be people will build websites with React or Vue. And it, we, we'll, be, we'll be seeing the same. Without actually knowing React or Vue. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, or they'll, they'll know enough. Yeah you know, to get the job done. And I think that, you know, the same with the DIY bit, you know, is kind of, we, we know enough to get that bit done and, and we're happy with it. But if we need that extra bit more, then that's where we we make that decision to, you know, to bring someone else in or to upskill. Yeah. I mean, some of that is what's happening right now anyway, because let's face it, how many of us know a lot of things, right? To, to build a product these days, it's not just, oh, you learn a framework and that's it. Okay, you might be using a front-end framework, you might be using a back-end language, but that's not all there is to it. You need to speak to some third-party APIs, you, you need some sort of databases, um, you need other things, like maybe there's a search plugin that you need to use. So you have to have this kind of vision as well of putting things together and understanding how they work. And that's what makes things complicated because it's not just one thing. You can't just say, I'm going to learn one thing and that's it, like an accounting. Well, I learned to do accounting, I'm done, right? Not really. You've got a million of other little things that you have to be good at and understand. And that's where the problem lies. So that's where I'm thinking, how much can automation help us with it? Okay, I might be able to describe a problem, but then the implementation is still complex and we expect the tool to actually solve it for us. So that's kind of the angle that I'm, I want to see how we solve that angle if we can. And that should be interesting yeah, to see I, in the next five years. Yeah, I think... Um... Uh, do you want to, we've got two minutes left on this bit because the timer, do you want to yeah. re reconnect? Yes. So I think um, maybe, I'm not sure what to say. Maybe this is enough for a first, first episode or maybe we can patch them up after that. Yeah. Let's, let's do a reconnect. But thank you very much, Lee, so far for, for everything. That was a brilliant discussion. Oh, cool. It's nice to, it's nice to chat about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've been doing nice this for a while of... now. This is what our fourth yeah. conversation, I believe, on a weekly basis. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. I think, like you said, I think it's just it's I I I equally I equally like to receive and also to give them moments where you just go, huh? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, I had that epiphany you know? in this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, and I think, but and, 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 and you know, I've I've had that many times reading reading your comments, um, and and I think that there, you know, that's that's what makes that's what makes us mature, and that's what makes us kind of, you know, really adapt to like you know what's going to come next. Absolutely. 
All right. Thank you very much, Lee. Appreciate it. And this is the um, probably the end of the first episode. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.